This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to another one of our besotted Pride of West London live podcasts. This was recorded at the Fuller's Brewery with Darren Powell, and Lloyd Owusu, two Brentford legends. We had a night with them. It was an absolutely fantastic night as well. Big live audience. Fullers took really good care of us. Good beers, a bit of food, the full Monty, and the guys just gave us an evening of entertainment. We've got the end of season social, which is going to be the last season at Griffin Park, the night before the Barnsley game, which is the last game of the season, on Friday the 1st of May. Those tickets are on sale now. We've got players confirmed. Just go to besotted.com forward slash social and you can get your tickets now. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Besotted Pride of West London. Christmas bees up. You sound a bit more excited than that. This is the Pride of West London bees up. Excellent. A couple of days before Christmas. And uh, we're excited. I don't know if you're excited as well. We've got a couple of absolutely teething tremendous as we say guests in the house today please welcome Lloyd Awusu and Darren Powell as, as Billy said um, two very special guests tonight um, part of a very special team in our history uh, we were we were slumming down in the bottom division would you would you ever imagine it now um, and these guys helped us get back to where we belong. And we started on, that, on a journey. And these, these two players played a central part in that Ron Nose revolution. Um, and Lloydie today has flown all the way in from Australia to be here and be here for Christmas. So that's pretty special. Darren, not quite so far. But it may have been just as problematic. The, the cabs came in late. Unfortunately, you probably actually, you'll be able to relate to this as well. We decided to get the cabs again for the guys. And um, you know, some people say Uber, should you, shouldn't you? Should you get a local cab company? But of course, we, we remain loyal to Brentford, even though they've left us. And we went for SkyX. Unfortunately, they're at QPR now. QPR so, yeah. now. So, of course, they left us hanging. And Lloydie is able to get from Australia quicker than he was able to get from Slough with SkyX. So that about says it all, really, doesn't it? 
And obviously tonight, well, obviously we're going to have some proper conversation and have some really good memories from these two. But equally, we're going to try and raise some money for um, Rob Rowan, his, his designated charity, which is Cry and the Hounslow Food Bank, two charities that are really close to us. Um, the Brentford players and the Brentford staff have donated some amazing gifts. So have some of the fans. Um, so thank you if you've donated something. I know Slats, is, you know, he's, he's donated his 1999 signed championship shirt, which these guys would have, you know, they would have signed back in the day. So there's some really, really special stuff up here. So we'll have an auction a little bit later on. So, um, yeah, enjoy. Enjoy. So listen, before we go on, again, we've got to do the manners. As we say, we do this nice and early, we do the manners. And we have to give our thank yous at the beginning of the evening. Uh, so first of all, we want to give a big thank you to Fullers. Obviously, big friends of Besotted, big friends of everybody here. Every time they always sort us out, lovely venue, either in here in the Hock Cellar in the Fuller's Brewery or in the summer when they give us that lovely venue as well. Give us, we've got lovely food, we've got lovely beer, we've got lovely everything, you know what I'm saying? And it's absolutely something tremendous, as we say. So a big, big shout out to Fuller's, um, good friends of ours. And like I said to you, they've supported us for years and we've supported them as well. And uh, thank you very much. Like I said, lovely location. Uh, also, like I said to you, We've got charity, as you can see on that table here. There's more stuff than we've ever had, you know. In all the times that we've been doing this, has been really great. So we have to say thank you very much to Brentford Football Club, Peter Gillam, who really helped us out here, but also all the people at Brentford Football Club, the players and everyone who's donated some fantastic boots and gloves and, and, and balls and, and, you know, everything they've donated there. So we're going to try and see if we can raise as much money today. But if not, we'll also try and roll it on to maybe the next event or we'll roll it on over the next couple of months because we want to make sure we raise as much money um, as possible for, as Dave said, for Rob Rowan, who's a good friend of ours, yeah. unfortunately the technical director who died at uh, Brentford from a heart disease about a month ago, um, and it shocked us all, and it was a terrible, terrible moment, and, you know, the club's still reeling from it, and we just, you know, no results aren't going particularly well at the moment now, but we need to stick together, because we are, as Darren will probably tell you a little bit later, we, got, we have a small club. And we've got a different vibe about us. And sometimes we mustn't let these things sort of kind of split us apart. We need to actually make these things bring us together. And I think with Rob, and I, I, didn't, I knew him quite well. I didn't know him as well as many people that worked at the club. But he would have wanted us to make sure that we, we stick together at nights like this. He was going to come to the last social, actually, in the summer because he only lived around the corner from it. You know, he wants to make sure that we come together a night like this, celebrate, and just, and just do what we have to do and, and make the club be as good as it can be. So everybody, like I said to you, I want to just... Raise your glasses a bit for, for yeah, Rob Rowan. Rob Absolutely fantastic bloke. To Rob. And like I said, we're raising our money for the charities, which was uh, Cry, which supports young people diagnosed with potentially life-threatening cardiac conditions and offers bereavement support to families affected by YSCD. So that's one of the charities. And also, as we did before, the Hounslow Food Bank, or the Brentford Food Bank, as we like to call it, actually, because that's much more local. And uh, just quickly, finally, we just say quickly, the social, obviously, myself and Dave, we've been, this is the third social in the Fuller's Brewery. We're very proud to actually be at this stage. We probably didn't think we'd actually get this far as to, as to do the third one, did we? To be honest, just like having one bees up in a brewery was kind of a life's ambition. And to, 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 to be back here for the second year and the third event, I just think it's, uh, you know, I think it's awesome. And it's just brilliant to be able to share it with, you know, like-minded people and uh, Brentford friends. So enjoy it. Get stuck into the beer and I can recommend the, uh, the, uh, the, caffeine, the, caffeine, the coffee stout is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's, and, and also, same thing for me as well. I want to thank everybody for turning up at our events 
listening to our video, watching our videos, a blog, and our podcast with nearly a million listens on the podcast as well. Almost, almost getting there. So thank you very much on that. We've got a radio show on Love Sport as well, so that's really good. So really appreciate all the support that everyone gives. So, you know, you say thanks to us, the players, and like that, but we want to thank you because if it wasn't for you guys here, then we wouldn't be doing this stuff. So thank you very much, everybody. Raise Give yourself a round of applause. Well. Raise thank your glasses. You. Right, you want us to get on with the, with, the, with, the, with, the, with the real stuff now, you know, not all this... Kerfuffle. So uh, the kerfuffle is going to go, and we're going to talk about the real stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, Lloyd Wusu and Darren Powell. Nineteen ninety-nine, the year, the summer, the year of the funky drummer. <laughs> that was the year that Brentford. Well, before that, we were relegated to Division Three. I think it was at the time. And we needed a bit of a bounce back. And a man called Ron Nodes decided to make himself manager. And uh, Ron Nodes was it made himself manager. And he decided at the beginning of the, se- or the season that um, there was somebody that he was going to sign. A man called Lloyd Awusu, as we say. Lloyd Awusu. Um, Lloyd Magnus Awusu. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> The the Scandinavian thing runs through Brentford from a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? There you go. You you see, Phil Giles will be running down there thinking, you didn't tell us he was was sweet, sweet, uh, Scandinavian. We'll sign him now. But anyway, from Slough, went to St. John's Catholic School from a very... St. Joseph's, sorry. From a very Catholic... uh, From a very athletic family. Um, Went on to sign for Slough in 1997, playing one season, scoring 18 goals in 47 appearances before being signed for Brentford. He went on to play 163 games for Brentford in his first period, scoring 64 goals. Then he went on to play 51 games for Sheffield Wednesday and 29 games for Reading, scoring 20 goals. Returning to Brentford in 2005, playing another 49 games, scoring 12 goals. Then he went on to, and hold on a second, I'm going to have to, to, have to like, tongue-tie there. Yeovil, Chilton, Brighton, Adelaide, Luton, AB Paphos, <laughs> Barnet, Slough, White City, Hacker City, Sydney East, Riddlemere, Lions, Stanmore Hawks. I think I've got them all in, didn't I? That's right. Uh, and he also played four games for Ghana, scoring 218 goals in 587... <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 he played four games for Ghana, is what I said. (laughs) I said scoring prolific, prolific. (laughs) Scoring 218 goals in 587 games in his career. Lloyd Awusu. So Lloydie, 1998, signed by Ron Nose for 25 grand for Slough after playing for Slough. Just tell me, what was the approach? What did he say to you? Did he, like, white, white wig just turn up at the training ground and said, I know, mate, would you like to sign with me? Uh, funny you say that, but I must admit, there's a little story I've got to say prior to that little story, uh, to that question, though. Uh, one of my old school friends is in there today as well, uh, Paddy Hughes. Where's Paddy? Where's Paddy? Is he there? So I went to school with Paddy. He was a year below me. And uh, you, know when you, were a kid, you know when you were a kid, everyone at school always supports, obviously, the Liverpools and Man United, blah, blah, blah. So I support Liverpool. And at school, everyone used to say, who do you support, blah, blah, blah. And Paddy used to say, oh, I support a team called Brentford. We were all like, fucking Brentford, who the fuck are they? <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, six years later, I figured I'd end up signing for him. But um, now nah, Paddy's a good mate, good mate of mine, obviously went to school with him. And uh, obviously he's uh, a massive, massive Brentford fan. And 
like I said, when we were at school, he told me a lot about Brentford, and luckily for myself, uh, I did sign for Brentford in the end. But uh, back to your question, Bill. Uh, the one knows how I signed. Actually, quite a funny story, really. Uh, I, went, I was playing for Slough Town, and uh, we had just been demoted from the conference uh, because uh, at the time, the chairman didn't want to pay for extra seats to be put into the conference. Uh, so the, the actual league demoted us. So for myself, I said to myself, at the end of the day, we, that season, we came eighth in the league. We came quarterfinals of the FA Trophy, and I still had another year left on my contract. And I said, no disrespect, I'm not going to go into a division below when we haven't been relegated. So Brian McDermott at the time, he said, uh, there's, there was myself, there was a guy called Danny Bolt, Matty Stoll, we're, like, we're all 18, 19-year-old youngsters. He said, uh, okay, if that's going to be the case, you lot can go on trial at, uh, obviously, conference clubs or other pro clubs. So myself, I, luckily for myself, I, I went on trial to Warsaw. Uh, so I was there for uh, about, I went there for a month trial, but two weeks into my trial, I got a phone call from Brian McDermott. He said, Lloyd, because I've just sold you. I said, sold me to where? He said, uh, to Brentford. I went, yeah, whatever, funny, funny. He goes, no, seriously, I sold you to Brentford. I said, you're having a joke, yeah? He said, no, I've, I've sold you for 25,000 pounds. I was like, no way. He goes, yeah, serious. So he said to me, uh, go back down. He goes, go to the training ground, see Ray Graydon, who was a Warsaw manager at the time. And he said, uh, say to him, thank you for your time. But uh, obviously, Brentford signed you. So I went to see Ray Graydon. And he said to me, fair play to your son. Go and do what you've got to do. So I came back down south. Uh, and I had to meet Brian McDermott just around the corner in Windsor. Just around the corner from mum and dad's. And then me and him had to go to uh, Heathrow Airport. Because that day, Brentford were flying out to La Manga for a pre-season training. So I got, got all suited and booting up. I was like, wow, wicked. I can't believe this. I could, I'm going to be a professional footballer. But anyway, known to me, the deal nearly got, the, the, the deal nearly got uh, scampered by uh, my agent. I had this agent called Lan Rioki. Absolute crook in the end. So I've got to the airport. I met Ron Nose and Ray Lewitt and Terry Bullen and they're sitting at a table. And uh, this Lan, he's got, he's got a train from, from uh, St. Pancras or wherever. Met me and Brian. And... Uh, well, no, so this is a contract, and my agent, he says, no, this is, this is, this is absurd. My client's worth more than this. I'm like, I don't give a damn. I was on £50 a week at Slough Town. You know, you know what I mean? He was giving me £350 a week. I was like, happy days. You know what I mean? For me, I was a bonus. He says, no, my, my client, he's, he's, that's a derisory offer. It's a derisory offer. I, 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 we deserve more. So I found out my mentor, Danny Bailey, and I said, Dan, tell Landry now I don't give a damn. If I'm on £10 a week, I'm, I'm signing because I want to be a professional footballer. So Landry spoke to Dan. Dan said, okay. The kid wants to sign. So I went back to one nose and said, yeah, we're definitely going to sign. So one nose goes, brilliant. So the boys, were, I saw the boys all, all at the airport, Kevin Rapley's. Uh, I knew Kevin from when I was a, a kid as well, from back in the day. Uh, a few of the other boys. And then, uh, yeah, signed on the dotted line there, signed a three-year deal. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. Uh, and then from there, I remember, uh, I think it was about a week later, the boys had gone to La Manga. They were there for about 10 weeks. Uh, sorry, 10, 10, 10, well, 10, 10 days, 10 days to two weeks. They were there for about 14 days, and I remember, because this is when I, when I first met Pauli, because uh, he hadn't gone to the trip as well. So he was doing his re rehab and uh, prehab with, with, uh, with, I think with, with Bagger, weren't you? I think with, with, uh, yeah, with Del, with Del Bryan. And I remember I was so nervous. I went to the training ground, and I was like, oh, I can't believe this. I'm like, one minute I was a non-league player, playing in front of 50 people, and then all of a sudden I'm come to a professional environment. I was like, wow. And obviously I met Darren, and ever since then we've been, we've been great friends. And it's interesting, I mean, I'm swapping here, and we, we normally try and go chronological, but you've just popped a little things in there, which is stopping the chronological thing. La Manga, I've got to ask about La Manga, because Ron knows, at one stage, I think he was going to pull, he was going to, he was going to pull the squad or do something, because he wasn't happy with the pre-season tour. The pre-season tour was booked up somewhere, and he came in, he went really mad. And then he ended up booking Lamanga. And I noticed every year he booked Lamanga. Now, 
tell me what was going, what went on. Something must have gone on in Lamanga because that weren't, that weren't no straightforward training tour, was it? There must have been shenanigans afoot. <laughs> what happens in Lamanga stays in Lamanga. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I must admit, I must admit, like, like I said, the first, obviously the first year, myself and Dan, we, we missed the trip, but then the following season, uh, again, being a third division club, you know what I mean? With, I mean, we're only a third division club, and when you hear about going to pre-season trips to Lamanga, that's what premiership clubs were doing, you know, back in them days. Like, the top clubs would go into place like that, and when the gaffer said we're going in the second year, we was like, wow. So I must admit, when we got there, it was just like, it was top draw. It was like proper. We, I mean, we were, we were looked after. We were training on training pitches like carpet. The hotel was just beautiful apartments, like four to a... It weren't even apartments, they were villas. I mean, four to a villa, uh, like food... Everything was just on, on tap for us. It was just a real, real great experience, especially coming from a non-league background to, to this sort of full-time environment. It was, it was brilliant. Listen, you've got to give us at least one story, man. Everyone's come out here tonight. One Lamanga story. Come on. Bill, Bill if he's going to be stum, actually, get, get Darren to. He looks like he's going to... He can spill the beans. Boy, I mean, there was a couple of stories. I mean, one, oh, the Danny Cullop story. I mean, the three of us boys weren't happy. Where are we, D? Uh, I mean... <laughs> So I don't know, we like, obviously, I mean, look, we'll, we'll, there's a few brothers in the team and like, we've, we've walked into a room and Danny Cullop's sitting there with his fucking legs up, just reading a KKK book. And I'm like, wow, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? So that was, that's how, yeah, it was, it was. It was he, 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 he was a weird character. He was a strange character, Danny Cullop. Yeah. He, he was, obviously playing centre half with him, you know, you, you just do your job, but off the field, he was a bit, a bit strange. <laughs> He's a bit strange. <laughs> Listen, so, I mean, I've got to talk about, I mean, signings. You know, talking about this team, you know, we had Martin Rowlands, 15,000 he came in for. You know, Robert Quinn, 40 grand. Oh, Darren Powell, 15 grand. We'll talk about it in a minute. Uh, Evans, 100 grand, you know. Um, Folan came in 100 grand as well. Then we had Herman Horizonson, 750,000 pounds. Uh, I think it was a record signing for the third division at the time. He came from Palace. We were seen as a money bags team. We were seen as the big, you know, and I'm just wondering, how did that, you know, when you were playing your football, how did that run, how did that carry out, how did the other teams treat you? Did they kind of try to poke fingers at you and stuff, or did it make no difference? Not really. Um, like you say, look, at the end of the day, Ron knows is Ron knows. Bless him, may he rest in peace. Uh, look, he had the money to, to obviously, you say, to buy players. Did we buy, did we buy the squad to win the league? I don't really think so. I don't think we really bought the, the, the league. You know what I mean? We bought, obviously, Herman, who's a, a great experienced player. But then when you look at the real cusp of the team, especially the spine, where did the main three spine players come from? Darren, Hampton, Martin Rodens, Farnborough, centre midfield, myself, Slough Town. That was not even what? Not even 100k if you look at all four of us, all three of us there. You know what I mean? So, but what he built around us was, was a great team, you know? And uh, like I said, may he rest in peace. Uh, that was a great, great squad. Uh, but like I say, other clubs, that they... I mean, other teams are. That, I mean, the likes of Cardiff, they were they were splashing out quite a big, quite a lot of money then as well. But we just had a great, a great nucleus of team, great friends off the pitch as well, and I think that's what made us win the league in the end. Can, can I say something to, to, just to add to that? I, I just felt, <coughs> in terms of what we what we done, um, there was massive untold pressure on us if you if you think about it, because the money, so-called money that we were spending uh, within the team, and then everyone was expecting. You know, Brentford are spending a lot of money. You know, therefore the expectation levels become higher. But then, like what Lloyd is saying, within that there was a lot of 
inexperience. There's a massive, massive, uh, 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 you know, lack of experience in the, in the team. Obviously, we still had some within the squad, like Batesy and, and Charlie Oatway and, and uh, Warren Aspinall and people like that. But the 11 that went out, it, it was made up of like a, a youthful so-called team. And, it, and again, there wasn't much experience with it. So with that came, you know, off the back of that, there, there was a lot of expectation with it. So without even knowing, and it was just the youthfulness of us all just going out and playing football, obviously under instructions within, within a, a structure of a team. So we would just go out and play football and we would win games. Darren, Darren Powell, we, it's a brilliant story that you can tell us whether it's true or not, but apparently you were signed at halftime during a friendly. It probably, they were probably looking at you way before then. It, was, it wasn't just a 45-minute decision. But you were, you were playing for Hampton and Richmond Borough. Um, you'd, you'd sort of, you would then sign to become a professional. Not, not late, you were still early 20s, but did you think that it was going to happen for you? So talk me through that approach and, 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 that, and that time and, and how you felt when you signed for Brentford. Um, <clears throat> you know, with, with myself, I never, I never said to myself I wanted to be, become a professional footballer. Even though I loved playing football and I never thought of anything other than that, I, I guess I didn't think it was realistic. So my aim was just to play football, regardless of where I was, I was playing football. And um, obviously I went to Hampton, I was there for uh, a, year and, a year and a bit, I, I guess. Then obviously the annual uh, pre-season game against Brentford. <clears throat> and... Um, you know, even even from the season before, I heard clubs were interested, but I never, nothing ever materialised. So again, I, I saw Brentford. Uh, you know, I knew I knew Del Bryan, who you know the, the season before went to Brentford, and I just went out and played. Uh, it, it was strange. After after the game, uh, my manager Chick Botley, he came. Uh, I got home, and then I got a call from Chick, and then he said, "Look." You know, he, he said to me, look, he, he, after the game, he said, look, you've done well, etc." And he said, look, uh, I think Brentford are interested in uh, Brentford are interested in you. I said, ah, all right, chick. And then, and then he said, um, no, no, no. Like, um, their chairman came in at half time and spoke to our chairman and said, I want to sign him. I said, what? What the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> the chairman. So, and obviously, one knows was was known so I said okay whatever it didn't, it didn't sink in and then he said look I think uh, I think they've, they've made a bid etc I still didn't believe what I was hearing I said okay then I got a call again the next day it would have been on the Sunday or something and he was saying look the club's received an offer from Brentford they want to sign you and Ron knows want you to come go and see him I was like what the what so, on the Tuesday, I then went to Ron's house in my rusty Peugeot 205. Uh, <clears throat> he, um, he, he gave me the address, etc. And then I had to drive down this private road and also, and I'm saying, oh, for fuck's sake, I'm going to get arrested or some shit like that. Uh, something's going to happen. So, I just, I just, it just didn't look right. It just didn't, it didn't seem right. I was driving in my Peugeot and all these private, massive mansions and stuff. So I, I, I rang the door and his wife opened the door and welcomed me in and stuff. And he's sitting in the kitchen with two Dobermans sitting around him. 
still didn't feel right. <laughs> it still didn't feel right. So, to, to be fair, he, he was sitting there and he was talking, uh, you know, he said he saw me, he liked what I saw, I've got work to do and stuff, and literally his plan going forward, what, what he wants to do, and, uh, you know, he wanted me to be part of the plan and stuff, and um, um, later on in the week, come to the club, and he, he said, do I, do I want to sign? I said, obviously, of course, etc. And then literally, it's from there, uh, you know, we... we we spoke, <laughs> we, well, we didn't speak money. He literally told me what, what, what was happening. And then, um, <clears throat> yeah, um, <clears throat> days later, uh, I went to the, to the ground and I signed. So no agent involved, no negotiations? Cause, I mean, the way, the way Lloydie explained it, he, he was told he was sold. There was no kind of, so there was no negotiations. I ain't big time like Lloydy. Lloydy's great. He's carrying flipping agents around when he's playing football at school. Do you know what I mean? I, I didn't have no agents. I was, I was my agent. And to be fair, my agent would have got paid literally for doing nothing because Ron knows said, this is what it is. Take it or leave it. So, 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 so come on. What, so what were you doing for money at the time? What, what, kind, what change of life was it? What, what did that decision, what did that opportunity mean for you? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at, at the time, I was still going to college. I was playing non-league football. I was playing... Uh, I was working in... Uh, what was he, want a slice? You want a little slice? You want a slice? There's some bits in there. You can... You want a little slice? There's one more slice in there. You can have it. It's fine. It's fine. Ah, uh, oh, okay. It's fine. It's fine. I won't eat anymore. I won't eat anymore. Uh, Oh, it's finished. It's cold. It's finished. It's, it's fine. Um, yeah, to, to be honest, I, <clears throat> I was I was at I was at college. Uh, I, <laughs> don't you're gonna laugh at me, man? Like, some people are gonna laugh at me. Oh no, to be fair, I was like doing um, uh, like a, a, a PE course or some crap like that, and also I was doing drama as well. I was into I was into drama. Yeah, I think I'm weird now, and yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I, no, but seriously, like, um, yeah, I, I was, I was, I was into drama and stuff, and uh, I was at, um, so I was doing the sport element to it, and uh, not to drama, but I was doing the sports side of things, and so that's how you won so many free kicks, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, dri- diving. I would have made, a, I would have been all right in this day and age of football. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But um, <clears throat> yeah, so I, I was, I was at a, a college uh, the cockpit theatre in Patton, so I was, I was, I was there. And obviously, I was, I was working in Sainsbury's as well, so scanning Multi-ta- shit. Multitasking. Multitasking, sitting on that fucking till, scanning shit for ages. But yeah, that, that was it. But um, yeah, it, it changed. Listen, at, at the end of the day, it, it went from uh, playing football three times a week, training Tuesdays and Thursdays, and playing on a Saturday to, to full-time football. So it just changed my life massively, obviously. And... This is a question for both of you, really. So, you know, you've, you've come out of the non-league, you, you're, at your pro, you're at your pro club, you've walked into this professional training ground for the first time. How did it feel? I wouldn't say it's professional, where we were fucking training. No, no, oh, well, we was at, it was Mitchum. Mitchum was Mitchum. the first training ground, yeah. That wasn't professional. No? Uh, I, I, even for where I came from, that was shit, wasn't professional. But it was a so-called professional environment. And we was in every day and we was learning from good people, Ray Lewin, Terry Bullivan, etc. Um, uh, it, it, yeah, it, it, was, it was literally the dream. It was a dream. Just training and playing football every, every day. It is. It's a young boy's dream. 
And when did you get rid of the Peugeot? Yeah, I had it. it. I, I wish <laughs> that shit would be. Well, no, 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 no one's going to steal that. I, if I kept on to that, uh, held, held that, it would be worth a lot of money. Fucking hell. But yeah, I, <laughs> we rolled up in there. It, yeah, a few. No, I, I held on to it to, to be to be fair, especially with the money that Ron Nose gave me. I held on to it for quite a bit whilst I was at whilst I was at Pal- um, uh, Brentford. But um, and about and your debut. My debut, uh, it was first game, Mansfield at home, 3-0 win, clean sheet, I'll take that, I'll take that. Um, I could talk about the players on the side, Piercy, Boxall, Bates, Aspinall, Rollins, Rapley, oh Andy Scott. Uh, on the bench was Darren Freeman, Oatway and Ija Anderson as well. Yeah. Who was good, who was bad, who was nutty? Uh, don't know, do you want to say that? Oh, I always remember that that first game. Uh, I remember we we were sitting at Mitcham and we were sitting underneath the tree, and uh, obviously me for myself anyway, coming from non-league, I didn't even expect to be starting. And I remember Ron Nodes saying instead of starting eleven, he said number ten, and he got to number eleven. He said Lloyd Abusu, and I always remember Warren Aspinall. He just looked around, he looked around all the like Jamie Bates and all the senior boys, and think he he, he was just like, what the fuck? We got these three non-league boys. We ain't gonna win. The way it just you no, know, just his attitude was like. We're going to win fuck all of these three. You know what I mean? And fair play to that game. Like he's like Darren said, clean sheet. Roly Poly got, he got man the match. Obviously, I played about 75 minutes, I think, and then Darren, Darren Freeman came on and scored. But like for, for myself, it was a dream come true to, to make your debut playing for Slough Town a few months before and then to, to, get that, to get that enjoyment and that belief to come and play first team football in the third division for Brentford. It, it was just like Royal of Rover stuff for me. I'm going to have to ask, what was Aspinall like? Because you, you, oh, he's a tosser. He's a fucking tosser. <laughs> Ah, he was. I don't care. I'll say I don't give a shit. Yeah. Uh, it, to, to be fair, listen, he was he was old school. He was arrogant. He was a little northerner. Uh, he just. He, uh, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I dis, I didn't like him. Yeah. Uh, and no, it, it's the truth. Not 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 many people. Not many people did. Uh, did. And <clears throat> to to be fair, in terms of uh, management. They 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 kind of knew that they had to shift the old guard out, and and literally rejuvenate it by bringing the, the youth in, and he, he was struck round and shit. I, I just didn't I didn't like him. I'm a, D, I don't even I don't even remember the story. Uh, so anyway, we had a tra- we, were in, we had a tra- training game like eleven v eleven, and obviously me just being so eager, I've sort of I've tackled him as just a normal striker's tackle, but I've left a bit of studs on him. Accidentally, pure accident. No, no, literally, no, it literally was a pure accident. Just it would have been. He doesn't tackle. Doesn't tackle. No, he doesn't exactly. tackle. So anyway, the next, where, where, we, tra- where, we, trained at, where we trained at Mitchum, it was a, it was a really, real gravel, real gravel sort of dirt track to get to the training ground, to the pitch. But all the boys used to leave their cars open. Obviously, we never used to lock our cars anyway. So after, the, after training, I got to my car, and it's fucking filled up with fucking gravel. He's... So I found out Andy, I found out that Warren Aspinall's got a couple of youth team boys and filled up my car with gravel. My, my XR3i, that was my pride and joy. So I was like, I was like, I'm not having this, I'm not having this. So obviously me being a f- first year pro, I'm thinking, nah, I'm, I can't be having this. So it must have been about two days later, we're training again, another game, 11 v 11. And I said to Ray Lou, I said, oh Ray, I need to go to the toilet, please, mate. He goes, quick, quick, go, go. All right. So I've gone to a toilet now and I thought, fuck this, I'm going to get his back. All right. So I've gone to, I've gone to a toilet. I've done my number, number two. 
obviously wipe myself and everything, and then I put and I've got my toilet the, the toilet paper, and I put it in his pockets, right? I put it, I put it in his pockets, right? So anyway, with everyone, I've come back out, come back to train. Tra everyone's training. Everyone's training. Next thing, because what happened in, in back in like Darren said, there was a real click with the old boys who train get changed in one room, and the, the youngsters used to get changed in another. So anyway, all us youngsters, all, everyone come out of the shower, and all we all sitting there chilling, chilling, listening to music. And next thing, all you heard was, "What the fuck?" <laughs> You said Warren Asper, he's walked out with his fucking hands covered in my shit. And I was, and I was, and I was sitting there thinking, yeah, you want to get me, yeah? I got you back, yeah, so. No, 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 Asper's, man. Yeah, so. I got him back on that one. That's nasty. <laughs> he deserved it. He deserved it. He deserved it. Anyway, back to the football. Um, so listen, I mean, I know you said your first match Mansfield, both of your first match Mansfields, but your debut goal was actually scored not in the league, but it was in the cup when we played a team that we played a few weeks ago. Probably the first time we've played them in the league since then, I think it was, West Bromwich Albion. And we spanked them up 3-0 as well in the cup, didn't we? Which is good. I mean, now just talk through that game for us. Yeah, again, obviously they were, I think they were Division 1, were they a Division 1 side at the time? I believe, yeah. Obviously we were only third division. Uh, I remember I'd been on the bench and then one nose called me over and said, Lloyd, you're going on in a minute. And uh, yeah, like I said, I remember, I think, I think it was even Kevin Rapley, or I think it was Kevin Rapley must have squared the ball to me. Or saying that, it might even been Warren Aspinall, to be fair. Uh, he's played the ball across to me and I just, I saw the goalkeeper one-on-one. -on -one. I just did it past him and it was just like, wow, my first ever professional goal was like a dream come true. And first professional goal, and after that game in the Cup, we met Spurs, which was the actually the first time that we met Spurs in... In, in a couple, couple of years as well. And uh, first leg, we lost 3-2 at home. I mean, we, we gave them a good game as well. And the Spurs team, we had players, Sol Campbell, Darren Anderton, Justin Edinburgh, even David Ginola as well. Listen, and, and I know, obviously, they must have been giving you a hard time, innit? <laughs> yeah, it, it, was a, it was a nervous one. Uh, we knew how good Tottenham obviously was. And to be fair, I didn't want to get near David Ginola because I know he just leave put me on my back. But it was it was a good effort again from from the boys. We again a, a young side and stuff. But again with that, there was uh, an element of just no fear. We we would just go out and 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 just play and give it give it our all. You you know because we was doing you know relative relatively well in in the league. We just took it into the cup game. And then I, I believe we went, we went back. There was two legs, 3-2, yeah, 3-2. Two, two. Two, two. So, you know, I, the, the boys done well. I was nervous, obviously, you know, for the start of the season, for myself personally, to know that now, for, you know, just going into to, to league football and then obviously then playing one of the, the, the bigger clubs in, in, in the country, you know, in the cup game, it, it was just it was nerve-wracking. But also... It was exciting as well. So, you know, it, do you, do you, did you look at that as another massive opportunity? Obviously, like, you know, you were spotted for, for, you know, to sign for Brentford when you were playing for Hampton. Did you kind of think, maybe I'm going to be spotted by Tottenham playing for Brentford now? No, listen, I was just happy to be there. <laughs> I was just happy to, if, if I was selected in, in the team to play, I was happy. And just, just going at the start of the season for myself personally, I don't know about Lloyd, but I thought once I signed, I thought I would be in the reserves for the whole season and just to, 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 
to learn, learn so-called trade, but to be thrust to the forefront and, and, you know, there you go, first game of the season, go and play. It was almost learning on the job, you know, and it, and it was. The, the, the season for myself, and I believe so, with, with, look, it was just learning on the job, but they gave us the freedom to do so. And, and, and Lloydie as well, I mean, obviously there's a, obviously always a pressure not to concede goals, but for you, you know, the pressure is to score the goals. You know, you, you, you're going to be judged ultimately on how many, how many goals you get. What was that kind of pressure like to handle? Again, for me, it wasn't real, there wasn't real pressure because, like Darren said, I, would, I didn't even expect to start. Uh, I mean, I obviously started the first game, then I was on the bench for a couple after that. But during the course of the season, for me, it was just about being, being around the place and playing reserve games and maybe coming on. And like you say, in the end, obviously, what happened in the end was, was dreams come true. Roy the Rovers stuff, you know, scoring 25 goals in my debut season. I ended up, playing, I ended up being the only player to play every single game that season, 56 games. So uh, there, there was no real pressure, but I mean, I knew I loved scoring goals anyway. So as soon as I got on the pitch, no matter where I played, who I played for, it was all about scoring goals. And you're talking about pressure. I mean, how much pressure was it to be playing with the, the best fullback in history? Danny Boxall, obviously. Boxall. Danny Boxall. He's the best fullback in history. From some town in Ireland, he took Brentford out Division 3. Tell us. <laughs> now, to be fair, no, Boxy was a... He was a, good, he was a good player. I mean, I remember him as a, as a youth team player. Well, not because I was a... I had one year schoolboy at Crystal Palace and Boxy and Quinny were there and they were very, very exceptional players. Uh, and obviously they, they, they were at Crystal Palace as youth and then got a couple of years pro there. And then Ron knows obviously brought them to him and Quinny. But Boxy was a very good player, you know, overall, obviously a bit injury prone. He got a few injuries along the way, but overall he was a great player and he's a great lad as well. Yeah, but Box was a good player. It was just unfortunate that he just had no knees. He just struggled with, like, seriously, I, I, I thought uh, Danny Boxall, if he, if he was fit and he was, he was playing his 1v1s, like, no one really got past him. He was a really, really good defender, but it, it was just unfortunate. And to be fair, he was, he was a good guy as well, and we're still in contact with him. Um, but it was, just, it was just unfortunate, massively unfortunate, that he, he just had problems with, it, with, with his knees from, from early if he didn't, I, I believe he could have gone on to, to, to massive things, to be fair. It's interesting, and it's the way that you talk about this, because you talk about the team with fondness. And also, I'm going to say, you'd also talk about Brentford with a lot of fondness, because we were talking about a bit earlier on there as well, and you were saying how, you know, you, know, you laughed at us, saying, you're, you're still here. And then you met Slattery, you're still here. And you look at the fans, you're like, you're still here. You know, you're saying you're at Crystal Palace, and things keep coming and going, but Brentford has a sort of kind of... Oh, a groundhog day about it, doesn't it? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's massive. And, and as I said to you, to Bill, um, earlier, it's, it's a club that um, when I do go back, I still see familiar faces. And for, for, for all the clubs that I've, I've played for, it's just, uh, there's, there's a massive a attachment to, to play it. So, okay, I, I don't know how it is now in the championship, but for me personally, you could always, you could always almost feel the supporters. So after games, you can talk to them. That, you know, there, there was a real feeling and a connection. And that, that, that's a key word for me. I, I believe there's a, a real connection from 
the supporters to the to the players. So if you go now to the Premiership, everything's fucking. There's is a massive gulf in terms of how you can get close to clinical, very clinical. Well, yeah, it's just how close you can get to to, to players. It's, it's a massive detachment. There's, there's there's guys on X amount of money. You, there's security around. It, you know, it's it's not the football that I kind of know. But, but the thing is that also we just and we'll come into this later. But you. You work for Crystal Palace as well, so you play for Crystal Palace. You work for Crystal Palace, yeah. And so this is part of uh, this is part of you know w- w- what you're working at the moment now. Mm. And what is the difference? You know, I'm just trying to say to you what is the difference between then and now. As in, as in, like if they if they were to be able to bring that back now, do you think that's important? Because obviously the powers to be think it's really important for the players to be told what to say and to be dis, you know dis. Connected from the fans, whereas you, you, you lot used to come down the pub. We said to you, come down yeah. the pub. You used to meet us down the pub, and then you never went home. But so, <laughs> no, no, this is this is exactly what I'm trying to say. There, there's no there's no real connection. There is there is no real connection from for, for players to supporters. So after a game, if the Palace players lose a game, bang, they're in their cars. Their their drivers drive them home. Bang. Etc. You, you don't have them. When I was at Brentford, win, lose, or draw, you can still feel that the supporters. You can still, after the game, as you're walking out of the uh, out of the tunnel, you can still see the supporters. You can still can have a conversation with the supporters, Where, regardless whether the the result went for us. You can still have that 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 conversation. There's a connection. But now, if if you're at, for instance, at Palace, there's nothing. You they just go into their little bubble and and then and then. They're gone. There's no connection. Well, just to let you know, at Brentford still, we still have that. Sorry. We still have that at the moment now. So if the players come out, they come straight into the forecourt. You can talk to them as well. I have a feeling that maybe if we move to the new stadium, they may, they may try and sanitise that a bit because they want to become more professional. But what do you say to them? I mean, they might be listening to this, the people at Brentford, because we like to be different. That's the thing. Yeah. And, and listen, football is about the supporters. And 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 that's it. It is. It, it, it is. And it, it's it's massive. The, the support is is what makes the club. And when you go down that route of being detached from it, I just believe you lose a massive essence of the club. And as as I said before, every time I even if you know I haven't been to, to Brentford for some time to be fair, but when I have. I still see the old old faces, and you you can still have that connection with them, and that that's the problem with with football in this day and age for, for me is that football is now obviously it's just madly money motivated, and it, it now loses the realism of the people that is football, which is the supporters, and it and it is, and there's a massive gulf within it, and it's not realistic. You know, with, with stupid monies that that are involved, and and the supporters then become neglected. And what I said, Brentford is homely. It feels like home. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And um, I, I, I don't know if you I don't know if you heard my my rant on the podcast this week, um, but the the club the club have, the club have unveiled or announced the first first names of the, the lounges in the new stadium and uh, we're, we're really not happy about it and uh, this, it's, it's called it's, it's the Grand Union Canal Lounge the Great West Road I don't know, just, just, just kind of like neutral, bland non-Brentford-ish kind of names, Brentford, Brentford kind of but not actually 
anything to do with Brentford's history. Um, and Trevor from the Grapevine is here, and myself and Bias, we've 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 got onto the club and we've said we're not happy about this. Um, we we want the new stadium to give reference, tip its at, and um, to 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 give give its love to the the history of our football club. And that means even even just a, a lounge name, it, it's got to be right. So tomorrow we've we've called a meeting with Cliff Crown, and we're going to just tell him in no uncertain terms that we're not going to we will not tolerate you pandering to a rugby club, and we're not going to tolerate you just kind of diluting our history. So that's it. So let's, we're going to crack on now because we'll talk about a few little bits and pieces then we're going to have a little 15 minute break so everyone can get a few beers. Uh, go to the loo, do what you need to do. But we... Excuse me. I'm getting emotional. <laughs> and also, after, the, after this little break, we're going we're gonna to have a little bit of an auction. So um, if you have not seen this beautiful, beautiful selection of, of club boots and whatever, come and have a look. So, just quietly, everyone. So, listen, we just got to finish off this first season. The first season, so Brentford were the team. We were on fire, properly on fire that season, we're scoring goals. We had some great players. Like I said to you, we'll try and get you to talk a few about them a, few, a bit more. As we're coming to the back end of that season as well, 16 matches, we went on an unbeaten run at the end of that campaign. And I remember there was, there was a load of matches, but there's one match in particular as well, which uh, we thought was really wicked. We actually, uh, we actually went to it on a boat. It was, uh, it was, yeah, it was a, well, I think we went down on the boat and we had a very, very good day as well. And I think we're going to show a bit of footage for this one. I think, Lloydie, we're going to get you to do the commentator bit and you want to talk through this game. Come on. Which one's this one? Yeah. You must do the game. Oh, I've already scored now, so I have to wait for the, I'll have to wait for the next goal. Give my little Ghanaian, my, my little Ghanaian dance there. This was, this was my hat trick. Gavin Mann with a little big boot, and with me, I always used to play off the shoulders. Just had a good little touch there. I could have squared it to Scotty Partridge, but I was going in for goal. Like you say, back in the net there. Yeah, I know. Just give my little, my little Ghanaian Adwoa dance. And here, to be fair, it's a great goal by Scotty Partridge. He twists and turns the defenders inside out. Dropped a shoulder again. Goalkeeper's near post. Past Mel Kaplan. It was a real good goal there. And this next goal, to be fair, I think, I think my touch is absolutely delightful here. Rob Quinn wins a header. And if you look behind the goal, look at Billy. Look at, look at, look at Billy. He's like, he's offside. He's offside. He's offside. <laughs> you, got, <laughs> you just got to look at Billy's reaction. He's like, no, nah, he's offside. <laughs> Where is it? Keep going, keep going, Billy. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Pull it. Boom. Look at Billy. Look at Billy. He's like, no, wait. No, everyone else is celebrating, but he's like, no. Nah. <laughs> yeah, nice little cheeky hat trick against South in there. I, I have to admit, I had no idea where I was. We, we, we gave we gave yeah we gave South and we we had to give him one goal so four one.
So, yeah, beat Southend 4 1. Then after that, Exeter 3 0 at home. Swansea 4 1 at home. And then it came to the big one. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. Came to the big one. Cambridge. Now, for me, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep, I keep flipping because I know Brentford fans, in reality, we've actually only been promoted four times, if I remember rightly, in the past. Since 1980, we've been promoted four times. Four times since I've been supporting them as well. And everyone asks you, which is your favourite? Which one is your favourite one? And a lot of people, especially the younger ones, they go for when we, you know, Alan Judge scored the goal against, um, against Preston, you know, which is great because we got to the Premier League and that. Some people talk about the darling... No, it's a Premier League. Sorry, Premier League. <laughs> Sorry. I thought we were in the Premier League at the time. We got to the Championship. Um, Darlington as well. Some people talked about Darlington. But for me, it's between Peterborough and Cambridge. But Cambridge, for me, there was something about that Cambridge. Even though it was only in Division 3, everything about it was perfect. It was the, the day. It was the way it was set up. It was the fact that the two teams you know, that were playing and one of them was going to win the league. The fact that we went to their ground. The fact that we went to the pub beforehand. We were drinking by the river. And then you lot came and walked past the, say, pub. the pl- The players that- weren't in the pub. Eh? The players weren't in the No, pub. no, they weren't in the pub, yeah. So everything about that was just perfect that day for us as supporters. You know, we were there in our little straw boat of hats because we were on the Cambridge theme and everything like that. And then after that, we, it was brilliant. But for you, you talked to me through that day. How it started off, what did Ron do when he took you to that hotel through Cambridge? And just, just talk through it, both of you guys. Again, uh, that was another special thing, like, before, especially away games, the, the hotels that we that we stayed at like it was it was top it was five star hotels and uh, we knew going into that game both teams were already promoted as everyone knows but it was whoever it was winner takes all whoever won that game actually won the actual league and our preparation was brilliant and like you say we were at the hotel the night before just had a good night with the boys uh, pre-match meal uh, and then in the afternoon on the Saturday morning just went for a little, nice little stroll along the <coughs> along the river and everything. Like I said, we saw you fans as well. We saw, the, <laughs> <laughs> we saw, we saw you guys, and then like I said, we just had to. We went, got to the ground, and then the atmosphere you guys created, though, like Darren said, about Brentford. It's all about it's all about a family-based club and a real supporter club. They, you were there in your droves. I mean, what we we probably had what 1,500, 1,500 Brentford fans there. It was just it was just a dream come true. I mean, for us, it was it was it was it was exceptional. I, I I I remember the day. I, I just thought it, it was going to be our day in terms of, and I guess now just bumping into the supporters, it was nostalgic. You, you know, just just bumping into to the supporters just gave us that extra extra motivation. Like, so our run was 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 good leading into it. And we was all confident, and you know, Lloyd was scoring. God knows how many goals and stuff, and we, we was all confident. It was just youthful exuberance, and you know, and I, I'm, I'm not just saying it because we're monks. I'm, you know, we're monks. But that the, the morning, it was a nice sunny day and stuff, and then come and see the supporters, and the supporters are just, you know, uh, you, you know, bigging you up and stuff. You just felt that that it just gave you an extra drive, you, you know. And um, obviously, after we won the game, it was just it was just obviously brilliant. It, you know, from from the begin- start of the season to to that point, I I had never I would have never uh, guessed that I would have been part part of that. It was a cagey, It was still a cagey game though. Yeah, like, it so was. When, it when, was he won, when he won it one nil, but obviously they had they had quite a few chances. You know, I mean Trevor Benjamin up top as well. You know, what I mean Butler. he was giving was you Martin, Martin Butler. Martin Butler. Martin I mean, I mean, them, I mean them two are good strikers. I mean they gave Darren and Herman. You know, what I mean a good run out as well. 
But again, luckily for ourselves, they made a mistake with a, and I remember Andy Woodman, I think it was a massive boot up top and their centre half tried to head it, or whether he tried to head it back to the goalkeeper, I just sort of played off his shoulder and I just saw the goalkeeper coming out, advancing and I just dinked it over him and then as soon as that goal went in. It as soon as they scored that, I said they will not score mm. past us. There's no chance to win the fucking league. There was no chance that they was going to win, that it scored out. That's all we needed. We just needed that goal. And we said there's no chance that they was going to fucking score. Exactly. Excuse my language. No, it's true. But like, true. And also, like you say, Dees, like, when truth. you look at the, like, when I was, even when I see that goal now, but you see the excitement from you fans, all you guys who whoever was there that day, just, just the, the joy on your faces and the real, real drive just to take us through that last 15, 20 minutes of that game to, to see the game out 1-0. It was just, it was, uh, for me, Royal of Over stuff. It was just brilliant. So Royal of the Rover stuff. So listen, everyone, we're going to take a little break. You can go and uh, have a drink. You can um, have a little rest at the back there. And uh, yeah, and we're going to come back in 15 minutes again. I see, I see the old, all the old boys are at the bar. You know, and, a little uh, rest. Darren Powell. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Uh, I'll tell you something. There's a question I wanted to ask beforehand because you were talking about the players, you know, that you had. You know, you talked about uh, the fact that you'd come from non-league, but you built the, the core of the side. And you were in, you work for Palace Academy now. I want to know... How did that side, I mean, we were a Division 2 side, but how do you feel it compares with some of the sides now, even like championship sides? How do you think that you, and I know you might be a little bit biased because you play for them, but how do you think the comparison may be? Because we thought we were world beaters then, and in a really strange way, Brentford, if we put Brentford in the cup against anyone, like I thought we were going to beat Tottenham, we almost did. I thought we could have beaten, you know, a lot of these times. At the moment now, we can't even beat Oxford or Notts County, you know, when we play them in the cup. And that's not disrespecting us. That's, it's, there's a different mindset, different mentality where it's there. We were like small club, but world beaters and play some wicked football at times. Now, you tell me, what do you reckon, comparison? Uh, it's, uh, I, I just say it's... it's uh, the, the momentum. So when we was playing, as I said before, the, the youth and the exuberance and, uh, you know, the belief, that carried us through many games. Um, so, so therefore, there, there, was, there was not much of a, a, a fear factor in anything. So, uh, i.e., when, when we played against Spurs, we, we knew, always knew we was going to be the underdog. And... and you know, without being disrespectful when it comes to cup games and stuff, you know, Brentford at, at the time was always the underdog and, and we kind of relished that. Uh, we relished the thought that we was under uh, underdogs and no one thought we would win so-called big games and, okay, we, we didn't beat Tottenham, but, again, we, we went in with the, the youthfulness and the, 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 the underdog mentality. So, now, um, obviously... Brentford are moving in, in 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 a good direction in terms of stadiums and you know um, good start to the season. Obviously now you know Brentford, it, you know we're not doing as well as we we was, but I guess the the level of expectation now within the club or, or outside of the club is slightly higher. You know, um, I don't know if you want to say anything on that, Lloyd. No, he doesn't even know the question. <laughs> Hey, mate, my, Lloyd's, my, my Lloyd's legs, had my legs kicking one in too many red wines. He's had a long, he's had a long day. He's had a long day. He's travelled from Australia. He doesn't know what time it is. Benefit of the doubt. to be no. To be fair, when I look back, if you look if you look back over, I mean, the season that like we got promoted, the, the ninety nine, the night, the ninety eight, ninety nine season. Realistically, 
that team now, and I, and I would honestly say would do well even in the championship now. And that's being that's being realistic. The players, because of it was it wasn't just because of the, the I wouldn't say even the skill factors. I would say it was more about the hunger and desire. If you look back at that team, and if you look at football nowadays, I don't see it no more. I don't I don't see the passion. I don't really see the real passion and and the desire that we had when we were playing back in. I mean, we're talking twenty years ago now, but we had a real passion desire when we were playing as a team and. Uh, I think that just that alone would probably get us along in the championship, okay? And that's been that's been real truthful. I, I, just off the back of that, I, I believe that <clears throat> the, the unity within the group. So again, I you know I haven't seen many Brentford games or or been to the to to to, to many Brentford games, but what what I would say in terms of what I have seen, you know, via TV and stuff, and and what I know of the group that we was and and I keep alluding to it, it, it was just the, the just the, the the nature of the hunger. You, you uh, know, uh, look, I, I'm I'm just wrapping it up. In in terms of the the personnel from back then to to listen, I don't know the group now, but it was just a, a young side that was was hungry and the the winning gained momentum and it, it made us successful to the point that we got promoted. And, and that's the only, the, the only real way I can e- explain it. True. And I'll, I'll echo that, Darren, because if you look at if you realistically as well, 20, we're talking 20 years ago, yeah? And I can probably say now, I mean, I know a lot of footballers over the years, how many other teams or ex-teammates or other clubs have got teammates that they played with that are still in communication, like how us lot are now, 20 years later? I'm talking 20 years later, we're talking myself, Darren, Powley, Ija, Boxy, Roland, Gavin Mann. We still talk to each other to this day now. So you don't, I don't think you, get, you, don't, you don't get that kind of bona fide brotherhood at any club. And I think that's what, that's because of Brentford. Me personally, it's because of Brentford. Brilliant. And a, a, a player that we've, we've, we have mentioned and we, we, we're going to get a little bit more into it now, hopefully, is um, Herman Horidison, who's a, who was, a, who was an absolute nutcase. Um, I, I, I interviewed him in his house and he, he, he had a stuffed puffin on his TV. And, I, and I, I asked him, I said, why have you got a stuffed puffin? And he said, because we, in, in Iceland we eat puffins. He said, we cli- once a year we, we, climb up, we climb up a cliff and we will catch them and then we will eat them. So um, I, I just want to quickly talk about that interview. Puffin actually, muncher. We actually, and this is, actually quite, this is actually quite bad, but it just goes to show you where our minds are at sometimes. We actually asked him if we could do the interview in Iceland, at the shop at the time, mm. and he went, no, actually, no, it's not a very good idea. Could you come to my house instead? Yeah. So uh, we ended up in Godstone instead of going to Iceland. <laughs> Which is probably a better place. To I thought it was. A, I thought it was a much better idea to go to Iceland. There you go. So I mean, so Herman came in. He was. He was a. You know, he was one of the biggest signings of our post-war history, probably. Um, you know, we went out to Paris to watch him play for Iceland um, in France against France. Um, we had we had a proper good time with with Herman. What what was he What was he like as a teammate, and what was he like around the training ground? And stories of Herman Horidesen. Um, <coughs> Herman, <sighs> Herman, Herman actually was a lunatic. <laughs> he was a lunatic. Listen, he he was he was a nice guy, but he would greet you in the morning by grabbing you by 
by your clothes and trying to lift you over his head. That was his normal greeting. And I'm sure he would try to do it to management as well. He would just try to lift you over your shoulders, over, over his head. He was, he was, he was, he was crazy. But um, with that, with him and Eva Ingemarsson, I still look at them as fucking robots. They, they was robots in terms of the amount of games that they, they played consistently, how they looked after themselves. They, you know, there was Metaculus uh, and, and Eva Ingemarsson, who I was, who I played, I, I would say more so with, you know, he's so professional. They, they, was, they were so professional and it was so refreshing that these, these guys were, were, were coming and on a Sunday on the day off, they're, they're, they're in a gym and they're doing the cool downs and stuff like this and either. And, you know, and, and hence why they, took, they, they was just consistent in, in what, what they did. Um, nice guys. Eva was, was such a nice guy and a proper professional, just like Herman. But Herman was just weird. He was... <laughs> Nice guy, but he he he'd always just want to wrestle and lift you up, and just strange. So I mean, you're, you're playing you're playing alongside him. So yeah, what what's kind of said during the game was he as crazy on the pitch as he was off, or he would say some weird shit, and, and on there, and I, I say what, and he would just look at you and just beat his chest or something. I'm saying, what the fuck's going on here? He's a proper Viking pirate. Like it was it was it was strange, but. He, do you know what? Most, most of all, with, with both of them, they, they was winners. And it was always good to, to be amongst winners. And they would do whatever it takes. And they, they, was, they was team players. And, and they was winners. And the more of those people that you had in the team, the more likely you would win games. If you, if you go up north and you got to put your tin hats on and, and you got to graft it out, you need flipping little Icelandics like that in your team. No, seriously, they... they they, they was winners and they, they was willing to battle and fight for you. You know, they was team players. And it's interesting you say that as well because Herman, we've invited him as well to come on to the social as we've like talked to a lot of Brentford players. And I've been uh, all, all the best for that. Everyone's going to get lifted over their heads. <laughs> You're fucking coming here. He would try to challenge himself try, and try and lift everyone over his fucking shoulder. I'm but telling you, he would do that. But, but that's all the, the best for that. I ain't going to be there. He would try and lift every single one of you over his fucking shoulders. <laughs> And try and bench press you. And that's the thing. And the conversations I had with him, he was really friendly and he was really cool. And this is, I think, one of the last emails I had. And I said, you know, Herman, do you fancy doing it next year? He said, hi, Billy. Yes, next season sounds like a plan. Life is for living. And he's not been. He's not been here. <laughs> he owns a hotel in Reykjavik, I believe. Now. Yeah, but he's actually he's actually charmed, uh, coaching in India at the moment now. That's right with David James as well. So uh, yeah, he's, he's he's definitely done the life. He's just for living. You know what I'm saying? So uh, which is all good. But like I said to you, maybe in the summer we might have Herman here as well, lifting you all over your head. So uh, <laughs> keep tuned. We'd have to we'd have to get some pu- puffing pies yeah. put on. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, which is, which is <laughs> it's all good. But listen, just coming back to that season as well, because the foot, I need to talk about the season where we got to the playoffs, because it was a different setup. All of a sudden, we had a couple of seasons which we did all right. We got to the, I mean, you probably don't even want to talk about us going to get into Wembley and losing in the in that against Port Vale at all. Do you want to talk about that? Was it Wembley or was it? I mean, Cardiff. 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 Sorry. You know. It's strange. As, as I said to you before, I was I was speaking to you and I. Uh, I wanted to just, I don't know what triggered it, but I just wanted to see it, but you, you can't see it anywhere. 
Uh, it was it was strange. Who was it? Tony Poulos is one of it. Yeah, against Stoke. It, it was Paul one Vell. of those ones. No, no, no. Oh, talk, sorry. No, we're talking about Paul Vell. Oh, Paul Vell. Oh, yeah. fuck it. Well, I don't want to talk about yeah, that. That's 100%. fucking mess. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Uh, we don't want to talk about that. Oh, uh, no, I don't. I don't. Uh, well, we can talk about it, but I don't personally want to talk about it. No, no. Let's, look, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on to the, the, to the playoff season. The playoff season. It was a different setup. Initially, when we were, you were relatively successful, you had Ron Nodes, and you had three characters, right? Ron Nodes had like about a million people working for him, right? You know what I'm saying? So you weren't actually even sure who was the manager, who was in charge. So you had Raid Lewington, um, you had uh, the other one, and you, had, and you had Brian Sparrow. Ron Nodes, Ron Nodes will come, his management style was coming down to training on the Friday to watch training, and after training, he would go with... Uh, Ray Lou, uh, Terry Bullivant, and then, and then they would talk, discuss the team. And I remember when it was raining and shit, he used to have like some weird boots made out of fur and shit. And he would stand on the side with his umbrella and he would just be, he, he'll be watching training. And obviously he'd be amongst the coaches and stuff. And then they would just, you, you know, have the conversation amongst themselves and then the, the, the team would derive off the back of that, that conversation. But every Friday, he would turn up at the training ground and he would watch training and then with the other coaches, then discuss the team. So I'm going to ask you, because it's a bit weird, you've got these three coaches, right? We had a defensive coach, a midfield coach and a forward coach or something ridiculous. Who was a real coach? Who was, I mean, the thing is that Lewington, he's kind of part of the, he was part of the England setup. So it, to me, Ray Lou. he seems the one. Ray Lou was the coach. Ray, Ray Lou was a great coach. I still see him now. Obviously, he's at Palace. I still see him. You've got to say that. He's your boss. He's not my boss. He's not my boss. But no, no, seriously, Lloyd would say the same. Ray Lou always took all the training. We had Terry Bullivan, who was a good coach as well, and we had Brian Sparrow as well. But it was Ray Lou who directed literally everything. And he, I, I would say he was, at the time, uh, Ron Noe's right-hand man in terms of day-to-day -day running of the team. For sure. Ray was a, he was a great, like, like Darren said, Ray was a great... Great. I mean, I call him. He was more the gaffer to me than, than the coach. Uh, and then, obviously, with Spadge and uh, Bully. Bully. Bully, for me, to be fair, from, from my perspective, was, was fantastic because I remember he used to take me every morning. He used to say to Lloyd, if you want to be that striker that you want to be to score them goals, come and do extra work. And I used to, I used to come in an hour before the rest of the boys and myself and even some to Kev O'Connor and a couple of other strikers. We just used to do one-on-one -on -one with, with Bully like before the rest of the boys were coming, like extra, 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 and uh, I thank him for that massively. So I'm going to ask you, obviously, very, very good coaches there, but then in the playoff season, you had another very good coach, which is Steve Koppel. Now, how did, first of all, how did they compare? Because obviously their styles were different. Also, Steve Koppel was one man, whereas you had about a whole team before. Can I just say back, <laughs> just go back to um, the management style of, Ray Lou and Bully and stuff. I, I remember we was at, we had one home game and um, I was ill. I was fucked. Uh, I was like, oh God, I can't play. And then um, they said, all right. So they had a little discussion. Then they called me into, they, they had a little room in the change room and they called me into the room and said, look, apparently like, how do you feel? I said, look, I, I'll play, but I feel fucking rough and that. So oh, don't, don't worry, don't worry about that. And then they pulled a glass of whiskey or some shit. <laughs> they, they pulled me a shot. It was like a double shot. I said, what the fuck? And they said, look, just, just drink that, just drink that, just keep that down. I 
took the thing, I was fucking all over the place. I mean, I went out and we still won the game, do you know what I mean? But it was, it's, it's good management. It's just good management. You can't do it today, but I, I would say in, in terms of Ray, <laughs> uh, uh, to be fair, I wish I had more of those shots before the game, but um, in terms of Steve Koppel and Ray Lewis, and listen, it, it's not too d dissimilar. I, I, I loved what Ray did with myself, and I, I guess Lloyd would say the same with in terms of Terry Bullivan and stuff. There was my first real coach, professional coaches, and they would always give me time. Brian Sparrow would take me out and, and tell me, uh, you know, give me more things to do, uh, you know, of uh, a second session in, in, in the afternoon. I, I guess with, with Steve Koppel, Steve Koppel was just, he was just different. And when people ask me who's my best coach or manager or whatever you want to call it, I would say Steve Koppel. And his his approach to everything, his his detail in, in everything was, was second to none. And I, I guess the, the first uh, realisation of that was was almost when, you know, when we, when we used to watch games of the, the videos, op yeah. op opposition. Yeah. We, we, like, we, we had never done that before, so he'll have clips, VCR, whatever. Yeah, VCR video, back in yeah, the video, on, a, on a Friday, and, and we would watch opposition and you will go through stuff and like it, it was new to us that, that that it wasn't done before and we would you know the runs that we had and when we got to the to the playoff final etc we we literally done it off the back of literally 12 to 13 players we had the same 11 System. literally every week and we would get out wherever you got knocks or niggles wherever you get off your deathbed and you get up and you play purely because you wanted to do it for for him and for the team. Spot on. I mean, to be fair, many of you that played don't even know, I mean, the playoff final 2000 and 2002, I actually done my knee prior to the game. Uh, I was due to be in hospital. I'd I, I I done my cart, actually tore my cartilage. So I actually played that, I actually played that cup final or that playoff final with a, with a torn cartilage. And uh, But like, like Darren said, I wanted to play for Steve Koppel because what he brought to us as a team was just unbelievable. Just the, the training methods, his man management is uh, he's one of the managers who put his arm around you and said, you know, what I mean? if you you do well for me, I'll, I'll look after you. And he was just a, he was a, he was a pleasure to work for. And uh, like I said, to this day, my best manager I've ever had. And, and, and it's interesting you say that. And I'm, 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 we just need to bring it to, to today, just to a certain just for, because it's, just bring it slightly topical because obviously Brentford are not going through a particularly great time at the moment. Now we've got a, 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 a head coach in Thomas Frank, which the, the, the fans don't know particularly well because he's relatively new within the within the game or the head coach game as well. There's a lot of sort of kind of things going around as to whether or not, you know, the players are playing for him or whether or not it's right or whether or not he's doing the right things. Now, we are fans, so we don't see behind the scenes. The players who have been behind the scenes and also can, you know, we had Marcus Gale on our radio show last week and he started to talk about a few little indicators which he thought are kind of signs that maybe things aren't right behind behind the scenes now it's really interesting you talking about playing for your manager playing for Steve Koppel uh, do you think that there are issues with Brentford at the moment now possibly or could, or could be issues you know due to due to players and their reaction with with, with the head coach uh, listen first and foremost I, I just believe that in in order to 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 play for your manager or for, I wouldn't say for the club because you, you should always play for the club. 
for your manager, you, you've got to, to, to buy into what they're selling. All right? So if you, if you don't buy into what he's, he's selling to you, then the, the, the battle's already begun. So what I'm trying to say is, for instance, when we was playing for, for under Steve Koppel, you would look, you would see, you would understand. You would understand where he's coming from and where he wants to get to. And it was, it was clear as day. All right? I remember just, just going on a bit. So when I was at Southampton, I, I had a, a manager, George Burley, and it, it kind of reson, resonated with me. And it's quite interesting that when he first had a meeting with us, with the players, and he was talking to us, so this is his first initial contact with the players. And he was talking and he was talking and he was going on. He was saying the same thing and the same thing. And instantly with me, I thought to myself, this dude doesn't really know what he's talking about. And that's not being disrespectful. I just didn't instantly, you know, first impressions. I, I saw it. I didn't really believe it. And from that going on, we, we, we didn't do well. We, we just didn't do well. So my point is, is when we had... Uh, Steve Koppel, it was clear and it was concise. We would go out, he would treat you as a, a, a person, a real person. He will take you to one side, have individual co uh, uh, conversation, as Lloyd would say, and you believed in him. And you would get up. So if you had a little knock or injury, you would get up because you saw the end goal. You knew where he wanted to go and you, you, you would do it. And that is why we, we got to the playoff final off the back of literally using 13 to 14 players and, and, and everyone bought into what he was, he, he was selling. Okay, and, and interesting, like, talking about that season as well, like I said to you, you lost only two of the, of the, of, of the next 16 matches. You drew nil all to QBR, and probably that match dropped us into the position where we had to play Reading at the back end of that season as well. You know, and I had to... Listen, why, why is he bringing this up? Why is he bringing it up? Darren, why did you let Kiro off your shoulder, man? <laughs> to be honest, I, I was drunk. They, they gave me they gave me a couple shot of more again, shots before the game. I was fucking drunk. Oh no, god, that, oh, that, that game was. We, we got our own back on Curran because uh, anyone that was at that Dagenham and Redbridge game, yeah, we were we we don't forget. And he did he didn't want to come off, did he? Just quickly explain to the guys what happened. So so they got the whole away end waiting for him. We've given him shit for ninety minutes, and it's a six-six draw. 6-6 six, six draw, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it was ridiculous. We, we won on penalties. Wow. And he was, he, he, I think he scored one or two, and he was giving it to us still. And the Brentford fans not happy at all. And he was so scared to come back through because the, 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 the tunnel was right by the away end. And he, he, he stayed and did his warm down. He just wouldn't come over. There was, there was probably about 300 Brentford fans just waiting for him. And they, he, 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 shit, he shit himself, didn't he? Yeah, let's just say that they stayed in the centre circle about 20 minutes after the end of the match and it didn't happen. So, Curitan, you know, that was the, that was the Reading revenge, as they say. But, but like I said, to that Reading game, Lloydie, and I remember that game because there was, there was something about that game which was we went into it very, very excited. Even if you remember, right, Alicia, Alicia Dixon was at that game with us as well. She came, yeah, Alicia came down with us. She was with us. She's a, you'll see her, her picture will probably pop up there in a minute. Yeah. I should have told you. You think you would have won it if you knew she was there? I would have played much better than I did if I knew she was there. I would have fucking... No one told me. Oh, 
Listen, sorry. That's, I think I might have told Lloyd, Lloydie, but Lloydie wanted to keep it to himself, didn't you? Lloydie's like, yeah, she's playing for me. Forget about this. Yeah. I would have worked much harder than that if I had a chance. Well, well, there you go. So, listen, so you've embarrassed yourself in front of Alicia Dixon. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, but, um, but that game, you know, we thought, yes, we're there. We scored the goal early on. The Rollins got right in there. And it was a proper, really good vibe. And then that Curitan guy just came up and he distressed us uh, quite badly. And uh, after that, even though we knew that we were going to go into the playoffs, there was something about that which it was kind of... And, and again, the pictures will come up here where I remember you came over to the Wendy house as we were and you walked over to us and the Iwusu sign and we were trying to give it while the Reading fans were giving it large. But there was something about that where you sort of thought, actually, that was the opportunity missed. Yeah, to be fair, I mean, like, obviously we took the lead with Martin. I remember uh, broke down the left wing and I put a cross in for him and he scored. And it was a real good goal and then... I think even to say I remember I think it was even 76th minute see that's how close that's what I mean that's what, that's what I, I, I mean I even remember that's how I mean it was it was uh, and look fair play to him Cure, that, I mean that was Cure he, he was a fox in the box you know and, he, and he, he took the goal well and like you say going to the playoff final I must admit because I remember we played we actually played Stoke I think probably was three weeks prior when Steve Sidwell scored a great goal I think we beat him 1-0 and we oh, I, didn't, I wouldn't even say we beat him we battered him and I must admit, I'm a down whether Davos would agree with me. I think come the final, I'll be honest with you, I think we actually just shit ourselves. Honestly, believe the, the playoff final. Oh, fuck's sake. Oh, she's there. <laughs> Is she a Brimbers No, she's a Will you hook it up? Oh, she's married and shit now. So, uh, Bill, you're... Like I said, no, the, the, playoff, the playoff final after, I mean, we beat them 1-0 about three, four weeks before. And then I think come the final, we sort of, sort of we really probably shit ourselves, to be fair. Oh, I disagree. I disagree. Yeah. I disagree. I listen. They scored two goals from a set piece, which you should have been marking the one in the near post. Um, it's, it's a near post. It was a near post flick. It was a near post flick. Like, listen, at the at the end of the day, I I I don't think I don't think we shit ourselves. I and you know, going in into that playoff final. We hyped ourselves so, up so much in terms of, we, literally, we knew if we had lost that, the team would just be dissembled because people's running out of contracts. Um, we knew that boys' uh, contracts weren't getting renewed and the nucleus of the team was going to get dissembled. So we wanted, we wanted, we knew if we won and got promoted, we, the team would have still stayed t- t- together and we could have still continued the journey. But, and, and that was our real motivation. Yeah, in the run-up to that game, if I recall correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, sorry, I'll stand up, sorry. Um, I think we only sold about 13,500 tickets to that game, and uh, Ron Nose kind of come out publicly to sort of slate the fact that, obviously Wembley was closed, and we had to go to Cardiff. But... Um, we only sold about 13, 13,500 fans in that game. And it didn't help in the run-up to the press that allegedly, I use the word allegedly, that Mr Nodes slagged a lot of Brentford fans off because we only sold 13,500 fans. Obviously, Stoke are a big club and sold twice as many, if not more than that. Um, and in that... Yeah, we kind of lost our, our kind of like feel-good factor in the run-up to that tie. And I wondered really, obviously, what you're, at, what you're saying uh, with a lot of the players 
moving on. A lot, a lot well, of fans went there in good faith, thinking we we're going to win that game. Yeah. And, and we just, we just, as a club, on and off the pitch, we we didn't turn up. So uh, listen, in, in terms of selling tickets and stuff, I, to be fair, I, I, that wasn't my focus. And to be fair, I didn't really know much, much about that. I'm saying for our motivation and our drive, our drive was to win the game, to get promoted, and also stay together and continue our journey. That was our drive. And obviously, okay, whether we, we didn't play, play well or we played well enough, we, didn't, we ultimately didn't win the game. Off of the back of two set pieces. All right, so, so my, my, point, my point is, again, is that we wanted to win it purely to, 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 to continue our journey from where we was to where we was at that time. One thing I really want to ask as well, though, is I heard the name mentioned of Tony Folan. Um, there, was, there was a few players of really, really promising players that didn't really quite make it at, at, out of that era. You know, I'm, I'm sure that there's probably a dozen that you could probably name. So why didn't Tony Folan make it? Why, why didn't, like, Jean Vier make it? Why, there's a lot of players that... No, not Jean Vier. Who was the French guy? The French I'm guy. Xavier. 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 Now, to be fair, guys, I meant Tony Folan. Tony Folan was a special player. He was an absolute special player. I mean, luckily for myself, uh, I mean, I mean, all the boys know. Only recently, the boys, have, the, the boys have lost contact with Tony over the last 15, 20 years. And luckily for myself, I made contact with him probably the last six. So yeah, probably the last six months. Uh, he was a special player, but with Tony, he, he had a lot of demons, and it's, it's no secret. It's no secret. I mean, I, mean, I think he'll, he'll be he'll be happy for me to even. I'm not I'm not discussing anything. So that's not a secret. It, Tony Tony liked to, Tony liked to drink. You know, he loved the party scene. He was a young player at Crystal Palace, earning good money at the time. Uh, out every night on on a fight on a Tuesday night, Wednesday night in Croydon. Uh, living life, girls here, they're everywhere, you know. Uh, but look, he was one of them players that if he had the right mentality behind him or someone to really guide him, I think today we'll be talking about Tony Phone in a different light. You have to say, actually, like, he, he clearly was special because we're still talking about him today. And I, I will never, ever forget that goal he scored at Peterborough. And it was literally dink, 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 dink. And it was, it was something truly special. I mean, I'm, I'm very, I'm, a, I'm lucky for myself. I'm a, I'm a, John Barnes is one of my, one of my mentors and a, a great friend of mine as well. And he's been to Australia a few times over the last three or four years. And he's, he's like you said, that question has actually come up a lot of times. The, the black players in this country who want to go on to that next level in, in regards to coaching, just don't get the opportunity in regards to they put their CV and nothing happens. But, it, but in the, on the flip side, the last year or two, I must admit, the last year or two I've been seeing, especially with the FA in England, there's a lot of the young black coach, my, my, my best mate Kevin Betsy, ex-Wickham, ex Fulham player, he's England under-16s manager. Jason Yule now, he's helping out with the under-18s. Under-23s. Under-23s. Justin Cochran, he's head coach of the under-15s. So there's a lot of young black coaches coming through now. But uh, again, it's, it's one of them ones, it's a stigma because at the end of the day, it's, it's always been there in the background where they don't get the opportunities. So a lot of black guys are like, you know, well, we're not even going to bother doing our coaching badges because we're not going to get the opportunities. But hopefully these, these youngsters who are coming through now, they're going to keep 
doing well, getting results, because at the end of the day, football's all about results. So if results are coming, and then debating black, white, whatever, it's going to be a snowball effect, and hopefully it will be we'll start seeing more black coaches uh, coming through on, on the great. It's like I'm, <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm a black coach. Okay, so the whole BAME uh, is is trying to support not just black coaches, obviously, is ethnic minorities and 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 women in, in football and stuff as well. I just I just feel what they're doing is they they're giving good exposure uh, um, to to uh, or highlighting opportunities for for uh, uh, black and ethnic minority uh, people i is there is there a problem at the top i still believe so i still believe uh, that 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 lack of um support in in terms of management roles i know and i believe there's there's a lot of people that go and uh, approach uh, um jobs uh, you know managers jobs and they they don't even get the opportunity they 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 they'll they some of them don't even get you, you know the the interview process even though they're highly you know qualified within that so listen the the, the more i guess the more we talk about it, the more we highlight it the more exposure and then can i use the word shame yes it, it should be shame because it's regardless of color or creed or, or whatever it is. If if you're deemed acceptable for that position, you should be given that chance to at least you know interview for that. But people are still not getting that, you know. So, uh, Darren, I just got yeah, to quickly go because I have to not interrupt you, but I, I want to carry on this conversation because just quickly because it's getting quite serious here, but it's quite important. Some people will turn around and say this is absolute nonsense. What are you talking about? Everyone should be, you know, white coaches, black coaches. Why should you be given a, a chance more than we should do? This, you know, you're obviously not getting a job because you're not good enough. All these kind of arguments come hey, forward. Bill, listen, I'm not, I'm not an advocate of saying, listen, a black person should get a job because they're black. Nothing, nothing like that. All right. All I'm saying is, it's the same process should be for for white, black, purple, green, or whatever. It should be the same, the same so-called. Purple. So you're saying that that hasn't happened then in cases? Yeah. Just give of us course. one example. Well, I, I, I can't give you one example. All, all I would say is I, what I know, and I'm not going to name names or Tony, anything like that. All I'm saying is, is that this person was heavily... Tony Adams? Tony Adams? Yeah. In terms of what? Coach, Wickham Wanderers? Yeah. Manager? Is that yeah. one? Is that, is that no, 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 no. I, I, I was talking about uh, in terms of, uh, of a black coach who was highly qualified but still didn't get the inter- to go through the interview process. That's that's what I'm talking well, that's about. That's what I'm saying. But the flip side of it. But then yeah. Tony Adams, who wasn't highly qualified, just got a job at head of oh yeah, Wonders. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. And there's many examples. So you you, you can look at uh, uh, Frank Lampard, excellent player. He walks into a high position job, and it's it's a massive. Listen, going into Derby, Derby's a massive club. But then because of the back of what he's done in his footballing career, he's gone to Derby. Now people, even though. Even though I'm not, I'm not, I, I, and I'll tell you the truth, I'm, I'm not the, the greatest advocate of Sol Campbell, but he, his first job is at Macclesfield, who is rooted at the bottom of Mac, uh, the bottom of uh, League Two. And you look at uh, uh, Stephen Gerrard, fast tracked, even though he went in for a year at Liverpool. So there, there, there's just the, the little elements of difference, you know, that some people have to go through a harder process. 
So, okay, let me let me just say something. So, if you look at if you look at League Two and and League One, the managers that get uh, fired and hired is it's a massive turnover in terms of a man would jump out of one job and go into a next job within the same league, and you'll go out one job to. So, if you look at him, he's more unsuccessful than successful, but he's still getting into a next job. But then, why would you not still give an opportunity? I'm, I'm not even saying to black. I'm just talking about in terms of the, the hiring, firing culture of the same people, the same people. There, there would be a manager that, that would be fired three times in a season, but yet he still gets into a next so, shot. So, so in effect, what you're saying, in fact, is that, and, and, and I said this as well, because sometimes when you get a manager, if a black manager comes in and then he gets fired and he gets coated because he hasn't done a really great job, he might not get a job for a while. Whereas if a, necessarily a white manager may come in, he may get rubbish and then he'll get another job and then another job again. Because I'll sit, I mean, for, for example, Leroy Rosinia, after he left Brentford, he was finished. You know, he was finished, you know. No, Torquay did all right, he was finished. He didn't do particularly brilliant at Brentford, but he was finished. It's harder, Bill. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not trying to make any excuses or anything like that. It's just harder. That if, you, if, you're, if you're a black coach or manager and you, you've been fired, you will not have that same turnaround in terms of a white manager. A white manager, as I said before, like he, he, he could be in two to three different positions in one year, whereas if a black manager loses his job in one year, he's not going to jump straight back in straight after. And the numbers will, will tell you that because there's many of them still trying to get into work. Just, just continuing the um, theme of, of, of black coaches, just look at what happened to Darren Moore last year. It comes in at the, at the end of the season for West Brom. Produces some brilliant results, and yet there was still that doubt as to whether he'd get the full-time job, and all that sort of well, is he up to it, and this, that, and the other. But would a white manager have got that? I very much doubt that. And the fact that he's proven himself now, okay, they dropped down and they're fighting to get back and everything. But I think that's a really good case in point that there was a lot of doubt about him whether he would get the full-time West Brom job after what he did at the end of the season. Couldn't quite save them. Produce some great results, and I think you know you don't have to look further than that to see what it's like for I think black coaches. There's that sort of immediate, ooh, is he up to it? You know. Listen, all I'm saying is, it's regardless of colour. If someone's capable of doing the job, let them do the fucking job. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's regardless of colour. Just let them do the job. It's simple as that. The poor guy, just Leroy the senior, didn't stand a chance, did he? He had the whole team ripped apart. And I was one, <coughs> one of them that said that he should be out, but I really feel guilty now. He just, the poor guy just didn't stand. Even Alex Ferguson wouldn't have stood a chance that season. That's all I've got to say. Is I feel sorry for Leroy. That really destroyed him. I'm really curious to know what Kevin Dearden was like, the goalkeeper you guys played with. His character, if any. What, what's, what's going on here? Do, do you know him personally? Uh, I don't know how far we can go. Are you, are you his sister? Are you related? Are you blood related to Kevin Dearden? Uh, Kev, uh, he, he, was a, he was another character i would say he, he was a character but he was he was part of the the old school the old school mentality you, you know with the the, the aspinals the, the jamie bates and stuff 
Yeah, he, he was he was hard work at times. But he, listen, he, he was a, he was a character. But I, I felt personally, I felt he fell into that old school, that old school mentality in that group, and I, that kind of group I didn't really get along with. Reading that behind you. Oh, was he fat? Did you say? Yeah, he was always fat. Yeah, Kevin Dillon was always fat, and I, I believe he still is. Right, uh, we, chaps. Used to, we used to call him the flying pig. He looked like one. Uh, right, right, chaps. My, Jimmy my, my, my question is: so the first year I had a season ticket was was the first year, that Division Three season when we won the championship. It was amazing. My second favourite season since then was when we won the league under Andy Scott. Darren, you came back to the club that year, right? Oh. And, the, and, the, and, the, and the biggest game for me that year was against Bournemouth away. If, if I'm not mistaken, you made a bit of a show of yourself that day. Can, can you please talk me through that moment? I, I, I spoke to you vaguely earlier. I thought we was all right. I thought me and you was all right. Wait, we're, we're still friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. Listen. Yeah, listen, this is open house. I don't care. I'll tell you the truth. Fucking hell. I'll tell you the truth. Listen, so we was playing that away at Bournemouth God knows what the score was at the time nil nil, nil, nil. <laughs> so they uh, we have a uh, we're defending the corner and we must have cleared the corner whatever they, they might have nearly scored from it and I'm I'm shouting at um, Carly Osborne and he's shouting back I'm saying what the fuck is this dude talking about so we're having an argument on the pitch now. I'm saying, what the fuck? Like, he's saying shit to me. I'm saying shit to him. And I just wanted to kill him at that time. I just, I did, I actually just wanted to kill him. So I don't know whether I grabbed him or whatever. Then the referee comes over and then he um, says violent conduct and he sent me the red card. Then I wanted to kill him. Uh, and then I, I, I just got sent off and I'm saying, shit. Like, I'm only here for, like, a few games. So I get sent off, and I'm in the changing room, and I'm saying, what the fuck, what have I just done here? Like, the boys have worked hard to get to this point in the season. I've just literally come here, uh, you know, for the last five games of the season, or, or however many it, it was, and I'm getting sent off on this Bournemouth. It is a decent side. The boys, I believe it was a draw, right? Yeah. I meant to do that. I, I meant to do that. So, listen, so anyway, so I, I'm sitting in the change room. I'm sitting in the change room. And all I can hear is the supporters. Oh, there's a chance. Oh, and there's a goal scored and the shit. And I'm saying, oh, for fuck's sake, like, boys, please don't, just don't lose. And, but they come in and they come in and they're, they're upset and they're fair enough. And someone like myself, I just had to take it on the chin. That, like, I'm an emotional character. So they're like, oh, fucking hell. I'm saying, boys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And they're going on and on. And I'm saying to my guys, oh, fucking hell, I want to kill everyone. But listen, ultimately, we, we, we just, we didn't lose. And thank fuck for that. And then, and then obviously, you know, after, after that, I missed a couple of games. So literally, I was there for like a game and a half. And, you, you know, the boys eventually won, won, won the league and got promoted. And we went to Vegas. I had a free trip to Vegas. 
So, and it's, and quickly, just for the question, I want to say that it's interesting because the time, that, obviously, we knew each other when you were at Brentford the first time. Then the, the time that I saw you again, I don't know if you remember, when we were up at the hotel up at Bradford. And I was in the hotel there with my wife and my kid and my son and my daughter was only about three months old as well. And we were at that, just happened to stay at the hotel and you were all there. And I was like, Pauly, man, how you doing? And you were there with the whole Brentford team was staying at the same hotel. Bradford game was on, in March. And I think, well, I can't remember, we drew or something like that. I can't remember the score, it doesn't really matter. Um, but the thing that I noticed and the question I just thought is what is really strange is beforehand you used to play with Andy Scott and now he was your boss. How was that difference in the relationship? Was it really weird? Uh, it, to be fair, it, it was okay. Like, Scotty rang me up a couple of times saying to me, look, he wants me to come down. Obviously, they wanted to try and win the league, and I was uh, unattached at the time. And I said, okay, yeah, like, I'll come and play. I'll come back to Brentford and, uh, you know, try and help the team. And um, to be fair, I was fine with him. Like, Scotty was, was open. We'd have conversations in the morning in terms of what he expected of me and like what he, he, he wanted from the teams and stuff. So it wasn't that strange, to be fair. It, it wasn't that strange. Terry Bullivant was still there, so you know, I could relate to him. But the word on the street was that after you got sent off, Andy Scott said he'll never play for Brentford again. Is that true? You didn't fucking tell me that. He didn't say that to me. He didn't, he didn't say that to me. Well, and listen, at the time, he had every right to say that. He had every right to say that. But he, he, ne he never said that to me. You know, yeah, he never said that to me. I'll probably chill him. Obviously, Brentford's form at the moment hasn't been brilliant. But if you two were the managers, or manager, assistant manager, whatever, what would you do to change it? I'd be playing. Ooh. I'd be playing. Drop down's gone. Yeah. Now, uh, Look, like I said, I haven't really, I haven't really seen too much of. Obviously, I've seen the results, uh, and I've had a little liaisons with. I mean, Kevin O'Connor's a, a great friend of mine, you know, and obviously, good luck to him now. He's going to be his, the assistant gaffer, so I hope, I hope a bit of Kevin's ingredients can, can really, really replicate into the boys now, especially for tomorrow. If they can get a result tomorrow, it's a massive six pointer, and uh, if they can do, I, I honestly believe if they get a result tomorrow, it'll be the turning point of the season. So uh, fingers crossed. They, they do the business tomorrow and uh, like I say for myself it'd be great as well being at the game uh, I hope they get the three points uh, You mentioned the Stoke at home game um, if I remember correctly well I do remember there was a sending off in that game and it One was One of their players wasn't it? Yeah. Their player yeah Did you know what happened? Because I think I can he, clear some light If I'm not mistaken if I remember rightly it was a it was a fellow Icelandic player as well Gunnar Lawson. Yeah, Gunnar Lawson. I think Martin, I think Roley, I think Roley's played the ball and I think he's kicked I think he's kicked Roley yeah. just after the ball. There was a little bit before that because um, he was complaining to the referee and I was in the front row. And I asked him why he didn't play for Bolton anymore. He looked at me and he said and he looked at me and he said, It's because you're shit. <laughs> and then the next minute he went up to Martin Rowlands, kicked him and got sent off. Yeah, yeah. So I hope that helped. Yeah, <laughs> you know? thank you, thank you. Just another question, as, as for Lloyd as well, because we've talked a lot about your career at Brentford and everything like that, and what you've done. We didn't manage, because like I said to you, so many questions here. It's been a really great night. Thank you, everyone, for contributing, and the players as well. But we need to talk about some other bits and pieces post-Brentford as well. Maybe you should tell them a story about Paphos and your time in Cyprus. My time in Cyprus? Uh, oh, well, 
So obviously I signed, I uh, obviously came back from Australia and then I ended up going to play for Luton. I think yeah, I ended up playing for Luton. And after Luton, I got, I got offered to go to, to Paphos to go and play. So I signed a year contract there. This was back in uh, July. So I just went in the pre-season. So I was happy days thinking I'm coming to the end of my sort of career, play for Paphos, in the sun, you know what I mean, enjoy the beach. I had a, the, the club got me a lovely villa, got me a car, and I got my, my, my little one and my, my girlfriend at the time were about to come. And all of a sudden, one day we were training. And uh, all of a sudden, I saw... I saw a couple of the executive uh, directors walking in the training ground. Now you'd never see, you'd never see the, the directors come to a training ground on, on a on a on an evening training. All of a sudden, there was five because each each club had you allowed five foreigners, and all of a sudden, all of us the five foreigners we had our five we had five cars. All of a sudden, we sort of the directors driving away in our cars, and we thought, what the fuck's going on here? So anyway, uh, the directors said, uh, oh, you, you five foreigners, we don't want you no more. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't want us no more? They said, oh, no, we're not paying. We're not going to pay you no more money. I was like, what the fuck? What do you mean you're not going to pay? I've signed a year contract. So, I mean, luckily for myself, though, in the end, I said to my, I phoned up my agent. I said, you know, I can't be having this. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, I'm fucking paid. I signed a year contract. of enjoying life in Paphos. And all of a sudden, the directors are coming, taking our cars. Uh, so I just got, luckily for myself, I got my, my contract terminated just before, luckily, it was just before the season was about to start because uh, otherwise if I, if, I hadn't, if I hadn't signed elsewhere, I would have not been able to sign until, not until January of that, that following year. Uh, and it was just a, just a crazy experience because it was, I mean, I thought I was going to, I thought, like I said, coming to the end of my career, going to play in the sun, have a great lifestyle. And then all of a sudden, yeah, directors driving away in our cars, we're thinking what's going on here, but... Luckily for myself, I came back and uh, signed for Luton and then uh, ended up playing for Slough Town and the rest is history. I came back to Australia and then, yeah, living life. And just Luton as well, just quickly, because you played for Luton and I remember I was up there with AFC Wimbledon, the, 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 the game that they were going to, to, to get into the league and AFC Wimbledon played Luton and I was there with my AFC Wimbledon chums, because I've got chums everywhere, haven't I? So I was in the chums at, um, at Manchester City ground and I messaged you, said, Lloydie, so, man, what, 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 what position are you playing? And you were like, I ain't playing. And I was really confused. What was going on there? Because you, like, you weren't happy, were you? No, I weren't happy. So, uh, obviously, for the ones who don't know, I came back from Australia, signed for Luton. Uh, and uh, Gary, Gary Money, was it Gary Money? Was it Gary Whatever, Mr. Money. I forgot. Richard Money. Yeah, he signed me. And uh, I've done really well for Luton. It was about 12 games. And I scored about six goals. And then Gary Brabham was the assistant. And he sort of stabbed the gaffer in the back. And then he took over. So anyway, I'm thinking, look, I've played 12 games, I've scored six goals, so as a striker, and, or as, just as a general, you'd think you'd be playing week in, week out. So he's, he's come in now, and he's, next game, I, I didn't start, and I was like, I pulled, I said, Gaffer, why, why, why am I starting? He goes, oh, he goes, oh, Lloyd, you're like, you're 34 at the time. He goes, oh, guys, I, you, need to, you need to rest. And I'm like, what do you mean I need to rest? It doesn't matter about my age, I'm scoring goals. Because I'm like, no, I don't see it that way. So anyway, played the, sem- played the semi-final to get us, played the semi-final, scored a winner to get us to the final. Uh, of the playoff final and so I'm thinking to myself look at least I, I knew I had an inkling that I wasn't going to be involved but I thought at least going to be on the bench and uh, we got to the ground and uh, there was a player uh, I forgot his name I forgot uh, one of the strikers anyway he, he had been injured for like two months he hadn't trained until the last game of the season or the last the last game of that uh, of that game so in a gaffers I'm walking I'm walking back through the tunnel and he's pulled me and goes uh, Lloyd can I have a word and I said to him don't even think about telling me what, what I think you're going to tell me. He went, he goes, uh, he goes you're, not, you're not involved today. I went, what do you mean I'm not involved? He goes, I'm, 
I, I can't remember the other guy's name. I fuck, I'm so pissed off. He goes, you're not playing. <laughs> so now I've walked into the change room and all the boys, all, all the boys were sitting down and then he's, he's named the team and he's named the subs. And even the players, even the players to this day, they were looking around thinking, hold on, how the fuck is Awus not even playing? He scored fucking six goals in 12 games. And uh, the, the AFC Wimbledon guys, their gaffer was absolutely buzzing. They were absolutely buzzing that I wasn't playing. And, yeah, and, what, and what even pissed me off even worse was the guy who had been out for two months, hadn't even played, trained 45 minutes before, the, the day before. He was on the bench. We were losing the game as well. The gaffer didn't even bring him on. That was what pissed me off even more. I was there fighting fit, scoring goals prior, and didn't even play me. I was just, I was pissed off. But I guess at the end of the day, it's football. I don't, I don't hold grudges. I just carry on and I'm, I'm enjoying life now. Obviously, there's life after Brentford. I mean, you talked about a bit about the academy. What are you up to now? What has been your sort of kind of proudest moment after Brentford as well? Uh, I, I, uh, okay, so now I'm at uh, Crystal Palace working with the under-15s and uh, under-23s. Uh, done literally all my badges and stuff. I guess that's an achievement in itself. I never thought I would be in coaching, but I am. Um, yeah, so that, that's where I am. Uh, obviously, after I finished my last uh, club at uh, MK Dons, then going back to Hampton, playing back there for a bit, then managing for a while at the club, uh, and then yeah, then after that's when the Eureka moment uh, happened, and uh, I I went into coaching. I did my badges, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Being at uh, Crystal Palace near enough three years now, two and a half years, and uh, worked with uh, numerous age groups and. Yeah, that's, that's where I am. And you scored that amazing goal for Palace, didn't you, in the finals? That goal still goes around, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it like, listen, I, as I said, listen, I, I play for numerous clubs, and I'm not just saying it because I'm here now in front of you people. I've, oh, I've always said that Palace, Palace, um, sorry, Brentford Palace. Oh! <laughs> Input, input team name here. Let me use that microphone. It's clearer. That was distorted. Oh, yeah, sorry, it's distorted, mate. Yeah. That one. That one was distorted. That's got the, the palace button. Now listen, uh, I'm being I'm being honest in terms of, I am actually being honest, sister. Um, that Brentford is always is always been. If I've got to sit down and say, what club? I would be affiliated with most, it would have to be Brentford, and I say why. Brentford was my first club. It gave me the opportunity to have a career. My, listen, I'm not saying that I've stood there and I've played and I've won many things in my career, but the most treasured item that I had, or I have, uh, is my my uh, supporters play of the year, my first season at, at, at Brentford. And that means no, no. And that means not a, a lot to me in terms of from where from where I came from to where I got through in a short amount of time. I got that in my first season, and I, I'll never, I'll never forget when uh, I was playing up north. I couldn't. Uh, it could have been Peterborough, and the supporters were saying to me, "You are player, player, supporters player of the year." I'll never forget that. So for all the medals that I've won and promotions that I've had, that's, that trophy still at my mum's house is the most prized 
uh, trophy that I, I have, and it's because it meant a lot. And I should do. <laughs> I fucking hope so. <laughs> yeah, uh, so for me, obviously, like you all know, I've been, I've been in Australia now for like the last uh, seven years consecutive. I went out there to play in 2009. Uh, it's, been, it's been, again, I've, I mean, I've, I'm like, like Dan, I've done all my coaching badges out there now. Uh, and I've been, quite, I've been quite fortunate in regards to what I've been doing out there. I've, just, I've got my coaching company, XL Soccer. Uh, in, the, in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Uh, I'm working at probably the most prestigious private school in Australia, uh, in Cranbrook, where they've never... It's, it's a, if, if any of you know, Australia's a lot... It's all about rugby. Uh, with it's our, It was a school's 100th, uh, 100th centennial year, and uh, they've never won a football trophy. Uh, I took over this year for the first 11, and uh, we won two football trophies. Um, I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of TV commercials now as well and a couple of films as well. I've done a couple of films. Oh, for fuck's sake. He's on TV. Oh, fuck you, man. Hey, don't, don't, don't hate. Don't hate. For fuck's sake. Yeah, so. Haters can hate, yeah? Done a couple of movies. With Jeff, I'll just drop a, drop a few names. Gerard Butler, Gerard Butler, and you know what I mean. Uh, you know what I mean. So uh, yeah, look, yeah. So I've been, I've been fortunate, and I've been fortunate enough to do that. But like, like Darren says, for me, for me, first and foremost, to get the opportunity to to, to become a professional player uh, with with Brentford FC, it's it's, it's my it's my family, and I'm, like a lot of you might be following me on Twitter and everything and stuff. Brentford's Brentford's my family, man. It's it's my club from day from day dot. They're the ones who gave me the opportunity. One knows me, rest in peace. Uh, my teammates, but first and foremost, you fans out there. I mean, I'm in week in and week out every Saturday. Come on that pitch at Griffin Park, and you guys, Bremer Road, uh, other Bremer Road, Griffin Park Road. Everyone was just yeah, that was I don't fuck, fuck it. Up. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That you, you come, on, come on, come on, he's had a long day. He's, yeah, he's been on a plane for about a year yeah. to get here. No, I'm surprised he's awake still, man. Now, for me, you, you guys are the, the pinnacle. You guys are the pinnacle of us, of us players. It's, if, it, if it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't even be sitting here now. So I appreciate everything that you guys have done for us. Obviously, you guys and obviously the rest of the, the 10, 15,000 Brentford fans out there who are the diehard fans, uh, I really appreciate it. And thanks for having us tonight. Let's have a round of applause for these two. Um, Wusu and Mr. Powell. Um, we have we. Everybody, I should say, end of the evening now. I want you to give a massive, great, big, big up round of applause for our. Boys here, Lloyd Awusu and Darren Powell.
Thanks again for listening to the Besotted Pride of West London live social. We've got much more of these as well on our podcast channel, prideofwest.london. We've also got a live event on the 1st of May, the day before the last game of the season against Barnsley. That's a Friday night. Check out tickets for that on besotted.com forward slash social. It's going to be an absolutely fantastic event. Thanks for listening. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.